Hello, I'm Marsha Ogden. Welcome to my podcast, Directory of a Dream Life 50 Plus. It's for anyone who's passed that milestone, like me by a long chalk, and who, like me, has realised that we could be on this earth for another 30 or 40 years. So let's make the best of it. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 17 of the Directory of a Dream Life 50 Plus podcast. This one's called That Moment When Your Life Changes Forever. And that's not some kind of glib, trendy meme that's meant to make you think about life. It's a situation that actually presented itself to my guest today. So I'm going to let him explain all about that in a moment. First, I just want to check in. Did you have a good week? I've had one. Well, I say it's good. It's been a bit manic because, as you know, I came back from walking the Camino very recently and I go off on another jaunt. But this is a working jaunt for three weeks on a cruise as a drama tutor. And that's in the next few days. So I haven't really given myself an awful lot of time to do everything I need to do. But As you know, I'll go to the opening of an envelope. So when the Camino came up, even though the dates were tight, I still decided to take them upon it. I know it sounds like I lived the life of Riley and have been doing for the last few months. But believe me, if you are open to opportunities, you will recognise them when they come along rather than just thinking, hmm, yeah, it's nice for you. But I couldn't do it because... Forget the excuses, just say yes and worry about how you'll do it later. That's left me with the podcast to schedule because I'm so proud of the consistency. We're at episode 17, for goodness sake. I'm not consistent at anything, so I'm really proud of myself and thank you so much for listening. And it's because I don't want to let people down that... I won't let people down. So I've been scheduling interviews and podcasts. Even more exciting is this long talked about journal is finally going to go to print in the next few days. I'm just doing the final edits and getting the copy in for the few ads that I'm allowing in there. So that when you buy the journal for yourself or for your friends, it will not only be a self-help workbook, but it will also contain discounts for related useful products and services. Before I introduce my guest Roger Cheatham to you, here's a little life hack. Here's a life hack that'll help you get rid of those horrible little fruit flies that sometimes invade the kitchen. I always thought that it was overripe fruit that attracted them. But apparently, oh, get this, even when you buy the fruit, the eggs can be already embedded in little cracks and crevices in the fruit. So you'll need this remedy more than ever now, won't you? Get some apple cider vinegar, put it into a little flat dish, along with a couple of drops of washing up liquid. Place that near the fruit bowl or the rubbish bin, which wherever is attracting them. 
and that will attract them in and they will drown. If you want to know the science behind it, the apple cider vinegar is the sweet, sickly smell that attracts them over there in the first place and the washing up liquid breaks up the water tension so that they have little resistance and just drown. Of course, if you paid attention in science at school, you'll know that. Welcome, Roger, to the Directory of a Dream Life 50 Plus podcast. And as I mentioned in my introduction, you haven't qualified very long for this status of over 50, have you? Absolutely not. No, I turned 50 on the infamous 911. Oh, right. Oh, good grief. Um, A lot of people use 50 as a time to evaluate their life and where they are and where they're going. That situation was forced upon you a few years ago, wasn't it? So can you tell us all about that? I certainly can, yes, because it's one of those situations that shows that you just don't know what's round the corner. Mm. And my sort of typical midlife crisis was forced upon me rather than by choice back in 2013, where I would have only been 30, 34, where I would have only been the right way around. Yeah, I'd had a... 13-plus year career as a pub landlord licensee in Sheffield, South Yorkshire. Took my beloved black and white Patterdale Terrier dog, Jasper, for a walk. After closing time on the 9th of June 2013, a Sunday night, I remember it very, very vividly, just before midnight, and left there a publican and dog walker and during the course of that walk, ended up an attempted murder victim, mm. battered and left for dead in the road, which at first it was believed I wouldn't actually survive the attack. Yeah. Obviously I did. And then when I did, I have been left with lifelong injuries, which aren't quite so apparent when I'm sat doing a, a podcast like this, or when it's been listened to, when people mm. can't see me anyway, but... You know, you know me as you do. You know, I'm usually on on two crutches with a three-inch built-up shoe and everything, mm. and that really did force life-changing decisions upon me. As people don't tend to see life as a pub landlord as being a very active job, it's one of one of those jobs I call the tip of the iceberg jobs, where everybody wants your job when they think it's all about uh, having a beer and a game of yeah. pool with the lads day in and day out. They don't see the up at six o'clock in the morning, clean the lines, waiting for deliveries on cold mm. and frosty mornings, putting 12-hour shifts in yourself because there's just not the money there to pay staff before mm. doing your own cleaning and then getting back in bed about two o'clock in the morning and starting all over again the following day. Mm. I, mean, I, I, I once wore a pedometer, didn't actually go beyond the pub and the pub beer garden and... When I looked at the pedometer at the end of the day, literally just glass collecting and serving, I'd walked more, more than five mile in a single shift. So oh, my. steps and changing no. barrels and even down to the basics of to serve a pint, you need two hands, one for the glass and one to flick the switch and within a crutch in each hand, mm. you can't even do that. So yeah. Yeah. I very much 
had to decide, or had it decided for me at that stage, that the career that I'd known for 13 years I wasn't mm. able to go back to because I was no longer physically able to do so. So that right. was the... That was one of the many changes forced upon yeah, me yeah. as a result of that time. Yeah, and and had had this not happened, would you, would you have been happy to continue as a, a pub landlord, sort of right up into retirement? Because it's what you'd done for quite a long time. You'd never thought of changing careers or, or anything like that? Um, there was no plan to change any careers, no. Ironically, we were leaving the pub we were in on a self-employed basis literally four days later than the night of the attack we'd already got a second interview just to sort out the details of a managed working men's club that we'd be going to so we had all the benefits and the 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 enjoyment because there was a lot of enjoyment in that career I have to say I loved absolutely loved the Mm. social aspect of it whilst I was going to have the peace of mind of knowing that I'd have the PAYE security of being a paid member of staff again when we mm. moved to the club. So yeah, yeah. That would have been the case. I would have been doing the same thing, but with more peace of mind. But obviously, that was taken away from me of back on the 9th of June 2013. Yeah, yeah. And and what kind of things do you go through? I mean, I presume you were in hospital for quite a long time. And, and what kind of things do you go through in your mind when you're in that kind of situation? Yeah, I, I always say during that time in hospital and most of that three and a half month stay was in isolation as on top of everything else I was dealing with, including seven broken bones and fractures and blown eye sockets and absolutely all sorts. As though that wasn't enough, I managed to go and contract myself MRSA within a week oh, of being in there. Mm. So for three and a half months I was in isolation mm. and that gave me you know, the opportunity to, to experience the, the loneliness and isolation that's not only experienced with hospital patients and long-term hospital patients, but those facing isolation and loneliness in, in all aspects of life, which were two of the big emotions I faced, isolation and loneliness, particularly overnight once visiting time had finished each day and I was just left in that room mm. alone until breakfast came the following morning so they were definitely uh, emotions that I experienced and there were mental health issues because you can't really lay in a bed for three and a half months thinking why did people see fit to try and kill me to take my mm. life away from me without knowing what the motive was without it having some kind of mental health impact upon you and I was fortunate that after probably only two weeks of being in that situation I decided that the police would either find someone or they they wouldn't, and as it happens to this day, they haven't. Right. But either way, I just needed to draw a line under it and think, I can't dwell on that for the rest of my life. Oh, yeah. The thing was, each morning I was waking up having written an A to Z script of who I thought the three people were, who I thought had paid them to do it, and what I thought the motive was. And if there's one mm. thing worse than having three people try and take your life, it's in your head that then becoming 50 people with 14 or 15 different motives mm. and 14 or 15 people yeah. putting them up to it. You just... Yeah, drive you crazy. Yeah. I don't put a stop to that thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So you did that quite early on then. So that's that's 
fortunate, isn't it? Yeah. And, and so you, you, where did you get the strength when you're in that in that kind of situation? It must be hard to see the positive. I mean, where do you think you pulled all this this inner strength from to be able to sort of see past worrying about who did it and why they did it, and and to to get your life back on track, even though it's a different track? Yeah, great question. And for me, I've always been a person that believes that people will do more for others than they will do for themselves. So I move the focus away from myself to my wife, Claire, who I celebrated our silver wedding with in April of this year, and also to our then 15-year-old daughter, Tash, who was going through her GCSEs at the time. Right. So... Uh, you know, a trying time for any 15-year-old. Mm. And so many 15-year-olds would have thought, with the grand scheme of things, but I don't even know whether my dad's going to make it through the night or not, what's the importance of exams, but not Tash. Her thinking mm. was, I'm going to do all I can under the circumstances to add my exam results to the ever-growing list of things that my dad's proud of me for. Yeah. And I'm able to share with you today as one proud dad that Tash actually left school with 11 GCSEs at grade B and above, despite all she was dealing with in life. So for me, the inner strength came from taking the focus away from me and the fixator and the uh, everything else I was dealing with physically Mm. and putting it towards Claire and Tash. That's what got Mm -hmm. me through focusing on them rather than on me. Yeah, yeah. And what a girl. Well done, Tash. <laughs> that is it's that is an extraordinary sort of example of, of resilience in her, isn't it? That that she Absolutely. was able to flip it round and think, how am I gonna make my dad proud? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and what's the plan now? Because I know I'll tell everybody, I know Roger from my public speaking training. And when I joined, Roger was already well on the way to creating a career that I think I'll be right in saying you never dreamt you would have a few years ago. (laughs) Tell us what you've been doing. This was never on the career plan, but funnily enough, neither was becoming an attempted murder survivor. So Mm. again, just back to the point that we opened (laughs) with, never know what's around the corner for No, no, that's right. No. So tell us what you've been up to, because I know this year has been very special in in so far as your progress as a public speaker's gone. This year has been absolutely amazing, yes. In April this year I became an international speaker. I was invited by and by the all the Old Ladies League, which is the organisation behind Women Economic Forum, invited me to New Delhi, India, to speak and share this very story with over 2,000 ladies from over 120 countries. So that was amazing. And for me, it wasn't a bit about the ego of being able to come back and say, I'm Roger Cheat, a multi-award winning international speaker, I talked about earlier, one of the driving forces for me is taking the focus off me and other people, as I mentioned with Claire and Tash, Mm. and 
after I'd left hospital, I really did hit the lowest of points, to be honest. And most people think the low points would have come in hospital. They didn't. They actually came when I was back home. But the family living room was also having to serve as my bedroom, bathroom and toilet. Something, right. not in medical terms, triangular living. And I think that was the catalyst where I hit a... People talk about the crossroads in life. For me, it was a T-junction in life where I either had to make the decision to just continue with the magnolia existence that I was going through at the time or, or find a way to turn the negative that had happened to me into a positive that worked not only for me but benefited for the maximum number of other people. Mm. And that's why, a bit of a long way around of answering your question for you, but that's why <laughs> I found myself in India sharing that message with over 2,000 people from over 120 yeah. countries, sharing the message of resilience that choose how dark things get. Not only can you get through it, you can emerge a stronger, more positive and improved version mm -hmm. of yourself. So I'd taken the focus off me initially to Claire and Tash, and then I'd taken the focus beyond that to 2,000 people sat listening yeah. to that story with that same message in an, in, in an audience in New Delhi, yeah. India. And like so many people, even then, came back with the negative voice saying, yes, but they didn't know what you were getting, what they were getting when you went over there. So, you know, how do, how do you really know whether you've been a fit or not? Mm. I mean, I mean, to be honest, that, that was a nonsense anyway that so many of us are, are guilty of, I'm sure, because the whole reason I was there in the first place was I'd shared that story at a, a local networking event, the Evolve Network in Sheffield, hosted mm. by a lady called Tunker, who had been at the event as a speaker in New Delhi the previous couple of years. And she'd actually contacted them and said, I know this is a male speaker, but it's such a fit with such a message for so many people. Yeah. I think we invite him along to that invitation-only event. And out of nowhere, I received an email from Dr. Habina Rora, who not only is the chair of the Old Ladies League, I've since found out she's on the list of the top most 100 influential women in the world. So oh, my! That was, quite, <laughs> uh, that was quite, uh, an email to a Wow, message. yeah. And even after all of that, yeah. the, the nagging doubt on my shoulder was still saying, yes, but they didn't know what they were getting when you, they invited you. But mm -hmm. I'm now back in, in the UK, and I'm pleased to say that I have been invited by the same organisation to speak for them at the Women Economic Forum in London, back in my home country, in right. November, November the 8th to the 10th this year. So now I can really silence that negative voice. Yeah, they must have got it. I don't have a big enough yeah. voice. <laughs> people are going to be benefiting from, which is why I do yeah. what I do. And what, so what you do, your day-to-day -day now, you're, am I right in thinking you go to a lot of schools, passing the message of resilience on to high school pupils? Very much so, yes. At the time when I first started out wanting to share this message, I was all about wanting to help other trauma survivors, and that is still something that I'm passionate about. Mm. I never really, if I'm, if I'm honest with yourself and your listeners, I never, I never really saw myself in front of a school audience and I was quite apprehensive because I'm thinking, while ever I'm sharing such a deep story and personal story with 
people at seminars and self-development events and such like, their adult audiences who are there by choice because they want to better themselves. Mm. Whereas in my head, once I was going to be getting in front of 30, I'll say Jenny and John, because if I say Janet and John, it'll give away my age. Again, <laughs> we know how old you are. It's <laughs> no real secret anyway, is it? I wasn't, I wasn't sure about how they were going to be, so to try to impress the mates and belittle mm-hmm. the man at the front playing the class clown yeah. and all the rest yeah. of it. Yeah. And I have to say, from the very first classroom I stepped in front of, the reception I've had and the difference I felt I've made in the world already to that age group, mm. it's, I know it's wrong to have favourites as a speaker and as a resilience expert, but... They are one of the audiences that I do really enjoy being in front of. Yeah, yeah. They, they ask raw questions, don't they? That uh, I know you've told me stories about them, them asking just all the, the detail of, of what happened. And I suppose it's, it's quite satisfying that they are so engaged that, you know, they do want to know the detail and they don't, they, they're not very PC kids, are they? So they don't care whether you're supposed to say things like that. Exactly that. And I think yeah. it is that refreshing honesty that, yeah. that makes them stand out as an audience. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of teenagers, I have a question that I always ask my guests. And that is, if you could meet Roger the teenager and he could see you now, what is one thing that you think he'd be proud of? And what is one thing that you think he'd wish you'd done differently oh that's a that's a very deep question and and i'm very intellectual mate (laughs) (laughs) i feel quite able to answer my teenage self would say he was proud of me for following my heart i mean i didn't go straight from school to be the pub landlord from being Probably pre-teenager, I always wanted to enter the IT world. And if you didn't know my age, I'd be giving it away now because life back then was all about my Sinclair ZX Spectrum. Yeah, yeah. and the BBC. (laughs) BBC Video Genie, wasn't it, as well? Uh, About that time. Is RMI even older? So (laughs) I think the thing is now, whereas the, the big debate now is... Uh, PC or Mike, back mm. then on the whole, it was Sinclair Spectrum or Commodore 64. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, all the other ones that were more education-driven or parent-influenced, I think it was the BBC Micro, that, yeah. um, that's what the school computer rooms tended to have. Yeah. And going from school to college to do a, a BTEC in computer studies and then straight from there, to starting a full-time job in computers. I was in IT for 12 years. Right. And I'd, I'd always been a, a people person. I mean, when I started out, I was a COBOL programmer on a mainframe computer. And right. Probably to, to our kids and their kids these days, that probably doesn't mean anything whatsoever. No, no, no. But, uh, you know, these days when I speak to my daughter, when I'm trying to sort of come to terms with, Facebook or technology and like like we had just off camera earlier on working out between us how to record a Zoom call. Oh, uh, from, yeah. From a phone because I always do it on the computer. And yes, it was yeah, a nightmare. I was, 
I'll ask my daughter for anything now and she'll just roll her eyes at me and say, <laughs> are you sure you spent 12 years in IT? And I'm saying, you've got to understand, Tash, that my phone, in fact, probably a calculator these days, has mm-hmm. got more memory than in a great big James Bond-style computer yeah, mainframe yeah, yeah. in the day. So yeah. comparing technology now to technology then is very different. No, it changes uh, with the minute. Yeah. I'd always been very much a people person, and it came to the point where one day I just decided I no longer wanted to look at a blank screen with a matching expression anymore, mm. and walked away from that job and became a pub landlord, which really more pulled to my heartstrings of being a a very people person. Yeah. So yeah. the young Roger would be proud of me for that. Mm. The thing I would have done different is. I jumped onto the horse of becoming a publican when the trade itself was rapidly in decline. So I think to to fully bring that question to a close, my advice to anybody based upon that would be follow your heart because life's too short. And as we've heard from my incident on the 9th of June 2013, you just don't know what day is going to be a life-changing day for you. But with regards to the going into the pub trade, what I would say is whilst you're following your heart, also make sure that you balance that against offsetting the downside as well and that you follow your heart, but you look into what you're going to do and go into it with your eyes wide open rather mm-hmm. than your eyes wide closed by going into something heart-led, which mm-hmm. is where I believe I made the yeah. mistake. Yeah, making a sort of a balance between the two. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And tell us what you're planning uh, in the next few weeks. You've got an event coming up, haven't you? I have indeed, yes. As we've shared, I've spoke from stage around the world now with various different audiences and quite often the feedback I'm getting is that was really inspirational, that made me cry, that made me smile. That made me realise I need to do more with my life. But how do we work with you from here? And I'm thinking, well, for me, it was just about having an inspiring story to get across to people, to inspire people to feel exactly that way. Mm. But then I felt like I was sort of doing people down by not having the opportunity for them to take it further with me. So Mm. on Saturday, the 26th of October... I have a River of Resilience workshop coming up, which is going to be based on a canal boat in Sheffield. It's going to be a day of invaluable content. So if people are looking for more meaningful relationships, less financial worries, getting physically, mentally or emotionally stronger, whatever it is they're looking for in any aspect of that, Mm -hmm. or if they're just going to enjoy the aspect of two hours cruising on Sheffield Canal and a a free lunch thrown in as well, then they can contact with me at... You can contact me by emailing roger at rogercheatham.com and hopefully we can put a link of that. Yeah, yeah. Once Mm -hmm. it's published. And that's what that day is going to be about. It's going to be a fun day. It's not going to be a classroom environment. Mm -hmm. Yes, the... The learning is going to be invaluable and it's going to be all about different aspects of resilience because I spoke earlier about resilience meaning 
that not only can you get through things, but you can emerge a stronger and more positive version of yourself. So many people just see resilience being there for when things go badly wrong, for when life's major challenges come along. Mm. And I firmly believe, and I've, I've experienced, that not only is that when resilience comes into play, but when life is good, the same tools can be used to make life great. Fantastic. Oh, I love that. Excellent. Yeah, what a quote. That was fantastic talking to you again, Roger. And Always a pleasure, Marcia, talking to you. <laughs> that was the right thing to say. <laughs> and oh, no, I'm very well trained. 25 years of <laughs> you are. I'm very well trained. <laughs> and good luck with the event. It sounds amazing. So if anyone's if anyone can get to Sheffield on the 26th of October, jump onto this. It's a canal barge, isn't it? It is a canal boat, yeah. yes. The HB Hard Fleet, operated by ANG Passenger Boats, out of Victoria Quay, Sheffield. And there's an event page link that I'm going to put in the show notes. Get yourself onto it because you'll get personal development, you'll get a ride down the river and a free lunch. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. It has been a little bit of a nightmare to record, as Roger alluded to in that interview. I always record on Zoom on the computer and for some reason it worked in the morning. Then I tried recording and the sound was terrible and then I tried recording and Zoom locked up. I started resume, recording Zoom on my phone and there's no record option for some bizarre reason. So I downloaded an app that it told me to download and that was tripe as well. So. We made it in the end. So apologies for the glitchy sound quality. I hope you've enjoyed the content and I'll see you next week. The Directory of the Dream Life 50 Plus podcast is created and produced by me, Marsha Ogden, and it's available on several platforms. So please keep listening. There are links below in the show notes and you can also follow me on Facebook. The page name is Marsha at Gurgle It, which is M-A-R-C-H-I-A at A-T, Gurgle It, G-U-R-G-L-E-I-T. Or you can have a look at the website, gurgleit.com. There are links below to the website and to the workshops and the journal. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, just drop me a line at marsha at or leave a voice message on here with details of your topic. Have a fantastic week and I'll see you next time. Oh, P.S. Can you do a P.S. on here? Well, I've done it anyway. Don't forget to send in any hints and tips, life hacks that you want to share with us. Just record your voice message at www.anchor.fm forward slash ddl50 forward slash messages. I still can't say it. See you soon.